it's another Monday evening, and that means it's time for another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Blake Watson, and tonight we're going to discuss what's going on in the coronavirus epidemic for Major League Baseball, and a lot of news coming out of Major League Baseball this week. Glad to have everybody along. Blake, how are you tonight? I'm really tired, Dave. I just had that conversation before we went on the air, man. I don't understand what it is, but I'm pooped. Yeah, you're not short of breath or having headaches or anything, are you? No, just really sleepy. We had a long weekend spent at the lake and oh, cut down nice. a bunch of trees and did a bunch of yard work. That's nice. Well, at least you got got to get away for a little while. Yeah, it was, it was a nice little escape for the weekend. Well, you know what, Blake? This is May 4th. Tomorrow is, what is it? They call it Cinco de Mayo. Yep. And, uh, of course, tonight, had the Reds and Indians been able to play some baseball, the Reds would be on the road in New York to take on the Mets, and the Indians would be home for a to start a three-game homestand against the Texas Rangers. And, ironically, that's going to lead off our show for tonight because as – Everyone has probably heard by now. The Indians reliever that they picked up in the Corey Kluber trade, Emmanuel Clace is his name. He's a 22-year-old right-hander, and he was mainly the, the key prospect that the Indians picked up in the Corey Kluber trade in December. Well, he's been suspended by Major League Baseball for 80 games due to the PED usage. The suspension is obviously going to begin once the 2020 season begins, if and when it ever does. And worse news than the suspension itself is that it's for 80 games, and that becomes a lot more significant this year, Blake, because probably the way Major League Baseball is talking now, the season could be only 80 games as they're aiming for a July 4th start, as we talk about that coming up a little bit later on in the show. But typical for the Indians that they would go out and pick up a reliever that immediately for a Cy Young Award winner in the past, a two-time Cy Young Award winner, that would immediately go on suspension because of PED usage. Just typical Indians again. That sounds like something that would typically happen to the Reds, too, in the past. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's any way that the Indians can... You know, similar to like a player failing a physical, you know, is there something they can do to get some extra compensation out of this or um, maybe even renege on the deal if you have to? Uh, I don't know what it looks like, but it's not a good situation. I mean, he's he's a good reliever. He appeared in 21 games for the Rangers last season. He had a 2.31 ERA and 23 and a third innings. And he struck out 21 against six walks. He's 6-2. He also threw well in the Dominican Winter League for the Indians. He's a, throws in the 99th percentile in pitch velocity last year. He averaged over 99 miles an hour with his fastball and over 90 miles an hour with his slider. He's been compared to be a right-handed Araldus Chapman, which I find hard to believe, but that's what they're calling him. Still in all, the Rangers gave up on him for Corey Kluber, and they also threw Delino DeShields in on that trade, which, you know, Blake, when I look back at that deal, for Corey Kluber, yeah, Kluber is 33 years old. He's probably on the downside of his career. I'll give you that. He's coming off of an injury. Still in all, to get Clace and Delino DeShields, and that's it for a two-time Cy Young Award winner that's been at the top of his game over the last five years, that's almost an embarrassment for the Indians. Yeah, they definitely got fleeced in that deal for sure. Um, 
but again, we talked about it the last couple of weeks. It's, it was purely a salary dump. It was get the best you can while cutting salary, right? And maybe that was the best offer they had without having to pick up any of Kluber's money. Um, but anytime you trade a front of the rotation guy for a middle to late inning reliever, it just doesn't make sense. And I remember that being the conversation for the Reds a long time with Chapman because everybody wanted to keep Chapman. And But what's the point of having a great closer if you can't be ahead? There's no point. And this kid's good, but the big difference between him and Chapman is Chapman's almost 6'5", and Chapman has got that those really long legs, and he's so much closer to the plate when he releases the ball. Um, that's, one, that's one of the reasons his explosive fastball is so good is because of how how far away from the rubber he is when he releases. He cuts the distance down between his hand and the plate compared to most other guys, similar to the way Randy Johnson did without being 6'10". Yeah, and another, um, another thing Chapman does too, Blake, is that he hides the ball extremely well. You don't see the ball until it's almost on top of you. Yeah, absolutely, and has a devastating slider um, with – you know, uh, his changeup was coming along as he got later into his career with the Reds. I don't think he really throws it at all in New York anymore. I think he's just a purely a fastball slider guy. But I still, I go back to a long time ago, the Reds made a mistake by not making our oldest Chapman a starting pitcher. Um, our oldest Chapman at, you know, throwing at 85% velocity, still throwing 97, and he can affect 200 innings versus 60 innings. It's, it, it just wasn't, that was a time when the Reds were very poorly ran, and that was another one of the poor decisions they made. Yeah, just there was a lot of discussions about that at the time, wasn't there? Every year it felt like, is this the year they're going to make Chapman a starter? Because he was a starter in Cuba before he came up, before we the Reds signed him. He was a, a long-relief starter type of guy. He was never that hammer closer. Um and that was, I mean, you just don't pay. If you're the Reds, you can't pay a guy that much money the way they did Chapman as an international free agent without making him a starting pitcher. He has to be, someone making that much money has to be one of your front of the rotation arms or or you're not going to be able to compete. And we found out at the end that they weren't and they traded him and, you know, it, it's all worked out good for, for our oldest because he ended up in New York, but... It, for the Reds, it, you know, that trade was basically a wash. You know, when you look back at that time frame, though, Blake, the Reds' starting rotation was pretty darn good. I mean, they they had uh, Bronson Arroyo, Johnny Cueto, Mike Leake was in that rotation, and, and they were one of the starting rotations in, in the National League at the time. Yeah, without a doubt, but the difference between the Reds' rotation then and the Reds' rotation now is the Reds' rotation then was really, really deep, but it wasn't top-end good. Johnny Cueto was top-end good. He finished top three or four in the Cy Young voting a couple times. Johnny Cueto, if he stays healthy, would have ended up being one of the best pitchers in baseball for a couple years. Um, and Matt Latos was good, but he wasn't special. But then you look at guys, like you said, Bronson Arroyo. Uh, I mean, Bronson Arroyo is fine. He's a he's a tough guy. He gives you a lot of innings. He can throw forever. He doesn't. But he couldn't break a pane of glass. Um Mike Leake was a similar guy, super athletic. Never, like everything he threw moved a ton, but he was never going to be dominant. He didn't have dominant stuff. He didn't have top of the rotation stuff. Alfredo Simon was another guy they threw a lot back then. They got him off the, off the waiver wire from 
Baltimore, I think, which ended up being one of the best deals they ever made because they swung him for Eugenio Suarez. Yes. I mean, you sign Alfredo Simon from Baltimore for a league minimum and trade him to the White Sox? Yeah. No, the Tigers. For eight, Tigers, that's right, for Eugenio Suarez. And, you know, Eugenio Suarez is now one of the two or three best third basemen of baseball. So it ended up being a pretty good deal. But it was another guy that, you know, was a an innings eater type of guy, but they didn't have that 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 hammer, that Garrett Cole, that Madison Bumgarner. Um, everybody, Matt Latos had that type of mentality, but he didn't have that type of, I mean, he had good stuff, really good stuff, but not great. I mean, he was, didn't have great command. I'll never forget when Johnny Cueto got hurt in the playoffs Matt Latos is jumping up like, it's me, it's me. Come get, I'm ready to go. You're supposed to start game two. They end up losing the series, but it, he had the right mentality you look for in an ace starting pitcher. It just never panned out. There's a reason the guy's 29 and out of baseball. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you look at this year's team and they've got dudes like Luis Castillo is a legitimate front of the rotation arm. Uh, obviously Trevor Bauer is a legitimate front of the rotation arm. I mean, Anthony DiSclefani is your fourth starter and his average fastball velocity is 95-4. Like he throws hard. He, he might go out there and get hit around, but he also can go out there and dominate. Um, Sonny Gray has maybe the best starting slider in all of baseball. Like these guys are really, really, really good. They're not as deep, but they're better at the top end. Yeah, and you know what just popped into my head? Do you remember why the Tigers were so, uh, not anxious, but so, uh, okay with getting rid of Suarez? Do you remember why that was? I do not. Because they had an up and coming third baseman that they, they thought was going to be a lot better than Suarez by the name of Nicholas Castellanos. Really? I didn't realize that. that. Was, now they're playing together. Yeah, now, Nick Castellanos couldn't handle third base and had to go to the corner outfield. You know, he actually wasn't a bad third baseman, but the Tigers had another prospect coming up, and they needed an outfielder, so they moved him to the outfield. And I always thought he was a very good right fielder. I mean, he, he proved it to be a good right fielder in Chicago, but, you know, I mean, the, the, the guy's got a strong arm. He's good defensively, good with the glove, and you know what he can do at the bat. I think if and when they ever get this baseball season underway, Reds fans are going to see that, boy, the front office for the Reds really did a great job in the off season. I think the big thing, too, with Castellanos is people don't realize he's a lot more athletic than they give him credit for. Yeah. He's he's not that big, brooding corner outfielder that hits for a ton of power. While he does have power, he's more of a gap-to-gap guy that can run a little bit. He's a doubles machine is really what he is. Um, he's, a, he's a line drive hitter. He's got one of the highest line drive rates in baseball, especially last year when he's in Chicago. Um, and a lot of those line drives when you play in GABP turn into bombs. So yeah, another he could thing, end up having a really good year. Another thing that they'll be able to do with Castellanos, and I think it'll help the team a lot more than people are even giving giving this a thought, he could play first base. He can give Joey Votto a day off at first base, and they really don't miss anything, especially when they go to the American League, and if they go to the American League, and they have the designated hitter. You know, Votto's been used to playing 150 to 160 ball games a year. Now they can put, because they've never had anybody that they could really depend upon when they took Votto out of the lineup to play first base, both defensively and offensively. Now they've got that in Castellanos. The last guy they had that could do both was probably 2010 when Votto was dealing with 
um, his anxiety and stuff when it, right after his dad had passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, a young guy by the name of Todd Frazier came up and played first base. Yeah. And, you know, he – in 2010, those those guys, you know, Todd Fraser was the last time Joey Votto could take a legitimate day off. And then they were running guys over there like Derek Dietrich and trying to think of other guys that have played first base for the Reds in a pinch, Donald Lutz. And, I mean, the Reds have been really lucky that Votto hasn't spent a ton of time on the disabled list um, because they don't haven't had anybody else who could play there. Yeah. Um, I heard a stat the other day. They were, there's part, there's a really good piece in the athletic about the gaping hole in left field for the Reds since Adam Dunn left. And I think it was 20, 2009 or something like that. And like 78 different guys have played left field for the Reds in that time frame. <laughs> and some of the names were mind boggling. One of them comes up because of this first base talk and it's Yonder Alonso. Yonder Alonso played, oh. has played seven games in the big leagues in left field, and they were all back-to-back-to-back-to-back for the Reds, and he's never played there again because in seven games, he proved he could not play left field. Yeah. Yeah, there are just some guys that, you know, don't don't need to have the fielder's glove on their hand. <laughs> well, and Joey's – but Joey's a different cat, man. Joey's such an old-school guy. Joey would play 162 games if they let him. Um, and he doesn't care. That's who he is. Like the idea of retiring with the Reds and he is definitely an old soul as far as baseball goes. And that's one of the reasons I love him is because I, I'm a similar thought process kind of guy. And, you know, he, he would go out there every day, every day with his arm hanging off if he had to, to play and play well. I love guys like Joey Votto, but you know, that being said, I also am not stupid and realize he's 37, 38 years old. And he's going to need days off. And Castellanos can hit, so that makes your lineup a little better. And there you go, a spot to get Philip Irvin at bats, or Nick Senzo, or Shogo Akiyama, or whoever, Jesse Winker. Reds definitely have a plethora of options in the outfield. Um, So it should be an exciting thing. And if they get the baseball season underway, they've got enough tools in that outfield that they can use them for trade bait if they need something down the stretch. Yeah, I don't know that they would. I don't know that they would trade anybody from the major league ready roster, other than maybe Nick Senzel. But with this shortened season being so weird, I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff put on the on the back burner. I don't think it's going to happen as much because people don't know what's going to happen. Um, why would you give up, you know, potentially six, seven years of Nick Senzel for twenty minutes of you know somebody else and. <clears throat> It just, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a, it's a strange proposition. It's going to be a strange season. Um, I think, I hope they do a DH all the way through baseball because I think that tremendously helps the Reds. Um, because another one of those guys can get in the lineup without, you know, playing every day. It'll be, it'll be exciting to see what they do. Well, we, we've talked about Clays. We've talked about the Indians and we've talked about the Reds here a little bit, but Major League Baseball, it isn't going to matter at all unless Major League Baseball gets the season underway, Blake. And the one way that they've thought about it, and we're going to talk about it, is they could push the regular season back until late June or July. Right now it looks like they're trying to target July 4th as the possible opening day for Major League Baseball because the Players Association and the owners are talking, and they've got – multiple plans 
to start the season. But basically what they've done now is they've come up with a plan. It's the preferred plan that they're talking about to play as many games in each team's home big league park as possible. In other words, the Reds would play at home. The Indians would play at home, too, including they've got a hub plan that's part of this, which would hold the entire season in Arizona. But that's becoming less and less likely because the players don't want to be away from their families for that long, up to four months is what they're figuring they would have to be away from their families. And they wouldn't be allowed to be in the locker room at the same time. There'd only be six people, up to ten people, allowed in the locker room at the same time. They wouldn't be allowed in the dugout at the same time. It's a crazy scenario. There wouldn't be any fans allowed to come in. We, I don't know if you saw WrestleMania about three weeks ago when they did it with fans. That was crazy. I, it, it was completely quiet, and, and it just took the entire ambiance away from the event. So NASCAR is coming back on May 17th with no fans, but that's a sport that the TV product is definitely better than the in-person product um, as far as being able to see more of what's going on. I don't think it's going to have much of an impact there. I honestly don't think with baseball it would have too much of an impact either. Because normally it's just a low murmur. I mean, when big things happen, obviously you get a, a short section of, you know, excited crowd noise. But from, so I was on my way back actually from the lake on Sunday morning and I heard Bobby Nightingale from USA Today on the radio talking about this, these, these things. What he said is the Arizona, Texas, Florida thing is basically dead. Um, that players in the players association will not sign off on that. If it's that or don't play, my he said he thinks they would not play. Um, the the ten team divisions is probably what I think is going to end up happening. So you'll have the AL Central and the NL Central together in one division. Um, they haven't really announced how the playoffs are going to work for that yet, but. No. My guess is it would be the same. You you would still split in your vision. So you're only going to play teams within those 10, 10 teams. You're only going to play those 10 teams, and they're shooting for 100 games. I'm looking at an article right now on USA Today. Um, so it says Major League Baseball officials have become cautiously optimistic this week that the season will start in late June and no later than July 2nd, playing at least 100 regular season games according to three executives of Knowledge with the Talks who requested anonymity. Um, so uh, it seems like they're starting to make hay. Obviously, we'll know more in the next two to three weeks because they've already said they're going to need three weeks of, you know, yeah. uh, spring training north or whatever you want to call it because they'll be doing it in their own ballparks. Um, but I think I think the TV product for baseball is so good that, you know, just getting on, we talked about this during our first one of these, that I think whatever sport comes back first is going to have a huge, a huge impact. And I always have thought it needs to be baseball. Baseball is America's pastime. Baseball needs to be the one that helps us get us through. Well, and you look at what the weather was like here in Cincinnati on Saturday. You look at what the weather is like today, not so much yesterday, but Saturday and today, 
gorgeous day for baseball to get out and watch a game. I, I was wishing that on Saturday I could go up to a Reds game and watch the Reds play because it was so beautiful out. And you just want to get out and, and do something and, and get something going. And I think eventually that's what we're going to have to do. And baseball just appears to be the thing that was, is going to happen first. Yeah, and I, I think it should be. Um I know that they're, the, in their proposal, it talks about as, you know, the boxes get checked and we get further away from the pandemic, then they would allow, you know, 5,000 fans in throughout a 30,000 seat ballpark. And the hope would be by the playoffs, we're playing in 50 to 60% capacity stadiums, which in reality would be, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays aren't going to draw 50 or 60% no matter what's going on. So. Um, and sometimes in the last couple of years, the Reds couldn't either. So I think whatever they do, they need to do it right, but they need to do it relatively soon. We need to have some sort of answer on what's going to happen. It would make getting through these last couple of weeks of this, um, stuff as a little easier to swallow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, the the only thing is here. Here's what the the central division would look like. You're right. It has primarily all the teams from the central divisions in both the American and National League, except for one: the Cubs, the White Sox, Brewers, Cardinals, Royals, Reds, Indians, Twins, Tigers. The only team from the National League Central that is not involved in this is Pittsburgh. And strangely enough, Blake, Atlanta has replaced Pittsburgh in this central division. Why I don't know. Because actually Pittsburgh is farther west towards the central than Atlanta is. But nonetheless, Atlanta's been put in the central and Pittsburgh is going into the east with the Yankees, the Mets, Red Sox, Nationals, Orioles, Phillies, Blue Jays, Rays, and Marlins. And then that doesn't was- make a ton of sense. Um, probably getting a bad team in with New York is what they want to do would be my guess. Some of the Yankees can kick the crap out of it for a couple months. Yeah. Then everybody else is in the West, but I'll tell you, this West is power-packed, isn't it? I mean, Loaded. Yeah, the Dodgers. You've got the Angels. You've got the Athletics. You've got the Diamondbacks. You've got the Astros and the Mariners all in that Western, whatever you want to call it, division conference or whatever. But like you said, there's nobody that's saying anything how the playoffs would work, but you would probably anticipate that the three division winners would be the would make the playoffs and then maybe three wild card teams, at least two. Yeah, I don't know, or if they continue to break it down like if they find a way to do the five NL, five AL central teams together, you know, whoever the highest finishing NL central team is in that division, who I however the fire highest finishing AL central team is in that division. I don't know how that's going to work. They, they haven't really outlined that at all. You know they've talked about it, but who knows what they're going to decide. But it's getting to the point, Blake, where they've got to – pardon the French – they've got to crap or get off the pot. They've got to decide yeah, well, what and, to do. And that's everybody. Like the, the biggest issue that I have with this whole situation right now is the unknowns, right? It's yeah. one day we've got Mike DeWine saying everybody can start going back out, and the next day he's sneaking a – an order underneath the underneath the midnight wire where people don't see it that says the stay at home order is extended to the 29th of May, which yeah. then he walked back on. And he says that you know we we stores can open, but even people walking in them need to have masks on. And 
Obviously, he can't do that. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But, you know, not not even 24 hours later, he's walking it back. That's obviously in my profession. We need some semblance of direction. We need the NCAA. We need the conference offices. We need somebody to come out and say, this is what we're doing. This is the plan. Should this not work, then we'll adjust. But this is the plan. And I think from everything I hear as states start opening up that, you know, people start pushing more and more to the fact that sports are going to happen in the fall. We're not sure how they're going to look, but they're going to happen. Um, and the first step for all of us is for uh, for uh, professional sports come back. If professional sports come back and everything's okay, then college sports can follow suit. All right, let it be said that you're the one that brought up politics in this because the, one of the <laughs> subject I was going to bring up this week was the fact that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, not one of my favorite people, by the way, decided that he was going to stick his nose into baseball and may, has been on the phone incessantly, according to reports, with Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, saying that basically – Major League Baseball has got to come back. He told a Louisville radio station on Thursday that he has called Rob Manfred several times and asked how and when baseball might return, which is interesting because there is no Major League Baseball team in the state of Kentucky. But according to McConnell, he says, the commissioner, I called the commissioner of baseball a couple of weeks ago and said, America needs baseball. It's a sign of getting back to normal. Is there any chance? And Manfred told him what was on the table at the time. McConnell went on to say that if we can salvage part of baseball, surely we can salvage football as well. I think the country needs sports. We've all missed that during this pandemic. And the sooner we can get in at least some of our sports, I think, the one eligible to begin first would be baseball, as you and I agree with. It would be a great morale booster for the country and an indication that we're going to begin to get back to normal. I understand all that. I understand where McConnell is coming from, but there's a heck of a lot more problems right now going on in this country than him getting on the phone and talking to Rob Manfred about baseball. By the way, Major League Baseball has declined comment on this story. I would say that I agree with you. To an extent. Also not a huge Mitch McConnell fan, but I've, I've long thought that Congress sticks its neck into sports when it shouldn't. Um, their talk, they were part of the, uh, NCAA pay for play stuff. They're part of, you know, they did hearings on steroids and baseball and it never really fit for me because obviously baseball, Major League Baseball is a private business. It's, you know, it's a conglomerate of the the 30 teams or whatever it is, and they don't need to go to Congress for any sort of uh, approval or anything like that. So I never really got why Congress cared. Um, in this moment, I understand why they care because, you know, again, I don't like Mitch McConnell, and he's got bigger fish to fry, but he's not wrong. And, he, you know, maybe some pressure politically could help us get to that point um, where we have baseball games again. I don't know. But I also have the thought of, you know, in reality, I know there's a lot more going on politically in the country, but what's, what is a senator from Kentucky really going to do to cure COVID-19? And the answer is nothing. Right. He, he can't fix this himself. He's not the one that's going to fix this thing. For one, because they really weren't even working over the past few months because they were not allowed in D.C. either. Um, 
it's just it's it's just a super weird scenario, man. There's literally nothing about this whole thing is normal. And this is just another aspect of something that shouldn't be happening, but is. Yeah. The the one thing I can thank Mitch McConnell for is the fact that, you know, traveling around with the mount all the time to some of these games in Kentucky and lower Indiana. Boy, the highway system in Kentucky sure is nice. Oh, it's pretty for sure. <laughs> nice yeah, without roads. a doubt. <laughs> Until you hit that Ohio border right across I mean, the you river. Th- you think about the state of Kentucky, they've got one city that's close to the size of Cincinnati next Louisville. And it's just it's just a different place. Everything's so more spread out and relaxing and calm and I like it. Yeah, it really is. Hey, off the beaten path as we wrap up this week's show, Blake, um, Don Shula, former coach of the Miami Dolphins and, of course, the old Baltimore Colts, died today. He's a Northeast Ohio uh, boy, went to school, went to college at John Carroll University, winning as football coach in the history of the NFL. Any thoughts on, on the passing of Don Shula? And he didn't realize he was a D3 guy, so that's big time for me. I had no idea. Um, John Carroll is a, you know, very good D3 football program. And my guess is he was a part of that at some point, whether it's a player or a student coach or something. Yep. Um, he, uh, I'm, I'm a little sad it wasn't Dave Shula, but, um, <laughs> after his oh <laughs> out, outstanding stint as head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. No, I'm just kidding. That guy. He was going into a gunfight with a butter knife. He couldn't do it. It wouldn't have mattered if Don Shula was the coach at that time. The Bengals weren't winning any football games. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's another, I mean, he's 90 years old. The man lived a great full life. Um, he saw things that, you know, many of us can only dream of as sports fans. Anytime you lose a legend, it's tough, but you know, similar to the way we talked about our dads last week, I like to think about the good things instead of the bad. I don't, I'm not a negative thinker, so I don't think about, you know, poor him, poor. I feel bad for his family, obviously. You never want to lose anybody close to you, but you know, in reality, I want to think about Don Shula popping a champagne bottle every year with, with Paul Warfield, um, when, you know, the last NFL team lost. And that, that's the good stuff, you know, that's, and that's how I think about people after they're gone. So, uh, rest in peace, Don, and, you know, you will be missed, obviously. Still the only coach to coach an undefeated team in the NFL. Bill Belichick came close, but Don Shula did it. Uh, I'm, I still tell you, that 18-1 Patriots team is still the best I've ever seen. But Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a darn good one, though. You know, that, and, and, and in reality, too, that game that they lost in the Super Bowl, might be my favorite game, and I'm not a huge Tom Brady fan, but I've ever seen Tom Brady play. Them boys, Jason Pierre-Paul, Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, they beat the ever-loving hell out of Tom Brady for four quarters, and that boy stood there and took the punishment and came back over and over and over again. Proved to me that even though they lost that game, that dude's a consummate winner, and that's who you want to lead your football program. Yep. The Patriots messed up. Blake, one final question just off the top of your head. When do you think baseball will get underway or will it not? I think it will. I think this, I think this late June, early July start, I think it's, it's starting to gain momentum. Um, I think once they start pushing it that way, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be so much public pressure to start it once that happens, once they kind of announce their plan. Um, 
I think it's going to be a done deal, and I think that's the plan that's going to gain the most traction. Roughly 80 to 100 games in home ballparks against only 10 other common opponents with little to no fans in the stands. Um, I think you'll see uh, an expanded roster to combat that there's not going to be minor league teams throughout the country. Um, I think you'll see something come out about minor leaguers reporting to spring spring training ballparks um, and just basically playing simulated games and staying in shape for injury purposes and so they can be paid. Um, I think it's going to be something along those lines, and I think it'll be late June or early July. I think it's going to happen. But, again, that's the optimist in me. I have to think it's going to happen because I have to think we're going to have football in the fall. So, if I don't do that, then this whole thing's going to make me go crazier than it has so far. I agree with you. Hey, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Dave. That's going to do it for this evening's show. Thanks for joining us here tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you again next Monday night at 7 o'clock.